A reminder that the only place to watch the best players in the game on Thursday and Friday mornings is on PGA Tour Live. It's only $39.99 annually. It's one of the best values in all of sports. Go to PGATour.com slash live today and subscribe if you haven't already. What happens when you take Callaway's most successful fairway wood of all time and make it even more versatile and powerful? You get the new Steelhead XR. With a recontoured Hawkeye sole and supercharged face cup technology, Steelhead XR is longer and more versatile than ever. For more information and to check out the technology behind the new Steelhead XR, go to CallawayGolf.com. Callaway, the number one fairway wood in golf. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah! that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. As promised, we are going to break down... Uh, my recent trip over to Scotland, a whole lot of info in to come. Uh, but first, want to talk to you guys a bit about how the trip started and want to give a shout out and thanks to my friends at Luggage Forward. Uh, Luggage Forward, you, you may be familiar with other companies that are that uh, will deliver your clubs to different locations for you, but you probably didn't know Luggage Forward has been doing this exact thing for since 2005. That's 12 years of experience in the business. They offer full money-back guarantee that your golf clubs will arrive to wherever you need them, as, as well as additional payment up to $500 if they somehow don't arrive. They are the cost leader for common trips such as Scotland and Ireland uh, from the United States, and they ship all kinds of things for you. They'll ship your skis for you, all different kinds of equipment that you want to ship. Uh, I've used them. Uh, I actually didn't use them between one leg on this trip, and it cost me 90 pounds, about $110 uh, in baggage fees just bringing my clubs from Scotland to Ireland. So uh, for our listeners, for a limited time only, go to luggageforward.com slash no laying up. Just check out the website. Even if you don't have a chip, a trip coming up, uh, I think you guys can learn a lot about how to get your clubs from location to, to location uh, on your golf trips. Uh, for now, let's get to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Joined for the first time on this podcast the host of the Scottish Golf Podcast, as well as a social media extraordinaire for the European Tour, uh, the guy that helped me plan almost every step of the way, I think, on this recent Scotland trip that I did, Rue McDonald. Rude, how are you, man? Yeah, good thanks, Chris, and uh, really looking forward to being on. Uh, long-time listener, first-time podcaster with you today, so uh, looking forward to it. I was mostly just looking forward to, I just wanted you to say the word podcast in your accent on, on, <laughs> and you already have, so we've already accomplished that. But, uh, um, so yeah, if, if, uh, for those tuning in, uh, I'm going to debrief my trip, but mostly I want this podcast to be focused kind of on helping you plan a Scotland, uh, golf extravaganza of your own, uh, spoiler alert. I'm going to be gushing like a little fanboy for the most part. This has been, uh, the best, like uh, the lengthiest and best golf trip I've ever done. Uh, Rue, and like I mentioned before, Rue helped with almost every step of the way. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, there's some stories to be told, but at the same time, I want to fill in some details. And this, the purpose of this is also to be kind of evergreen and last forever. Um, and some stories to be told, but I want to talk about, you know, transportation courses to play courses. I played what I thought of them and also going to be kind of be leaning on you, Rue to fill in on some other courses that maybe I didn't get to, but 
I'm not going to lie, there's not many courses in Scotland that I did not play in the last two weeks. Yeah, you did a good effort. We were just chatting before recording. Uh, you'll want to come back to Scotland, but I'm not sure there's a need for it. You've seen pretty much every corner of it. So uh, I, I was away for the, the most part. Um, so I was living through your Instagram feed like everybody else. So I'm looking forward to kind of hearing what you thought of every golf course as well. I tried not to blow it up too much because people are just like going to hate me at this point. I mean, it was like two straight weeks of it. And I didn't get to the Ayrshire, 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 how am I doing? Yeah, that was, that was butchered, yeah, Ayrshire. Ayrshire. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet, that's next week, looking forward to that, uh, going to be there with our promotion with Callaway and Visit Scotland, playing in the, Pebble, in the I'm sorry, not the Pebble Beach, the Dundonald, uh, the, the Scottish Pro-Am, Scottish Open Pro-Am that week, and then heading out to play Troon, Prestwick, and Turnberry as well. So those are not going to be included within this, maybe debrief on those at a later time, but uh, I arrived on around June 20th in Edinburgh, got in the car and just drove straight north. And the, the plan behind that was I was meeting up with a big group of people, which we'll get to, to kind of near the St. Andrews, Aberdeen area. Uh, we were meeting up in Aberdeen and playing a lot of golf in that area. I had time on my hands, so I came up two days earlier to head north to the Inverness area and see what everyone was talking about. Most of the reason up there was to go play Dornick, but you had quite the suggestion for me on my course to start it off with. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty special spot. I think if I was to pick one destination in Scotland, and we have five and you visited four of them, um, the Highlands, Aberdeen, St Andrews, uh, East, East Lothian and Ayrshire, um, the Highlands probably is sort of your stereotype type type uh, scenery and backdrops, uh, kind of wide open spaces, open roads, and some really good golf. And uh, you played Castle Stewart and Royal Dornick and Rora up there, um, and you know three great golf courses. And I think Castle Stewart was a great first round for you. Um, you know, open wide open fairways, but a second shot golf course and. Uh, and what was your general thoughts of, of that one? I think it's very underrated. Yeah, so I my the first thing I uh, I was talking with uh, Jeremy, who's the director of golf there, as I came off the course and said, man, this place reminds me of King's Barnes. And I purposely did very little research on the golf course before going to go play it because I feel like recently I've been over-researching courses and not leaving much of an element of surprise to them. And uh, so I, I didn't really even know how new of a course it was, and I didn't know that uh, – Mar- I'm going to butcher the name – Mark – uh, Parson? Parson. Parson. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He was the co-architect at Kings Barnes. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's or, right. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know that at the time, and I walked off the course and said how much it reminded me of Kings Kings Barnes, and he was like, "Well, yeah, it's the same guy." I was like, "Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense." But it helped. This day was uh, seventy degrees Fahrenheit, and shorts, shorts, and short sleeves, and perfect sun for almost the entire day. I zoomed around in like two and a half hours and I hit the ball like almost perfect, as good as I can hit it. And so I had just the best possible day at Castle Stewart. And I met, I think a lot of your experience on a golf course, and I've said this before in the past, it depends on the weather and how you play. So I had like all three things going there. The weather was great. I played great. And the golf course was just phenomenal. I felt like it was just very, the wind was definitely down, but I found it very friendly. And I know the European tour guys, they eat that, that place up when they go there for the Scottish open, which I think they've had there maybe four times. Is that right? Am I saying that? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, last year, and actually um, listening to last week's episode, um, you you hate Alex Noren, obviously. He won <laughs> round there last year. So uh, surprised you guys both like the same golf course. But um, yeah, he, he won, and then Phil won there. Uh, I think it's, you know, as I said, a really underrated golf course. I could see like a world match play type event there. It would be, it'd be, a, it'd be really strong, but yeah. Uh, and the welcome that you got there is just like any other welcome that are, you know, similar to anyone else that, that goes there. They really do try hard. They don't do too much, but they do enough. And uh, I, I honestly put that in my top three in Scotland. Uh, it's just such a, a great place all around. And, uh, yeah, not a bad start to your trip. Yeah, and, and I kept every almost every place I went, I kept commenting sometimes to myself because I was playing by myself in some places. Well, first of all, I can't escape this Norin take that I just, I, it's not, it's been butchered. Like it's been so exaggerated, but anyways, let's, let's stay focused. Uh, I, I You're comment, talking to a European tour employee here I know, as well. Man, I don't dislike Norin. I just think his rating is a bit inflated. That's the entire take. But anyway, yeah. um, I, 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 I'm amazed at how different all of the golf courses are and the different types of links experiences you can get. Um, so like for, for me in my mindset, when I think of Scotland golf, I think of, I want to play the, cl- like the classic old courses, right. But you also get, you can mix in well, as a part of your trip, a, you know, some newer, amazing courses that are basically kind of built, if I may say for like the American tourist, I mean, almost everywhere you go, they're relying, uh, not exclusively, but big time on American tourists coming over to play their courses. Am I right in saying that? <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. In fact, Castle Stewart have no members. They have some corporate memberships, uh, obviously just outside Inverness. So they have some small corporate memberships there. But apart from that, they're relying on the the visitor traffic. So you're paying close to two hundred pounds around there, but you are treated like a member for the day. That horrible cliche. But uh, one th- <laughs> one thing I wanted to point out was the fact that they are literally next door to Inverness Airport. So right. for people that are looking to fly into Scotland, um, the, the flights are much better now. Edinburgh being the, the probably the most popular starting point and ending point on a trip. But Inverness is a great option if you want to go um, sort of via Amsterdam or uh, like you know, obviously you you've done maybe, um, but obviously through London as well. So um, it's a good option for the start or end of a trip, Castle uh, right. Stewart. Yeah, and you could yeah you could start it you know flying to Inverness. Maybe you fly out of Edinburgh on the way out and just kind of cut off some travel. I didn't do it right. I flew into Edinburgh, just drove the three hours up from Inverness to Inverness, which wasn't too bad, but I could have done it better. But yeah, they're like four minutes from from the Inverness airport or something like that. And I wish I'd have known that more. You know, I'm I'm no longer living in Amsterdam. I could fly over and play the course and fly back in like a in a day. Like a, it sounds yeah. like the easiest possible day. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a phenomenal piece of land. I mean, you can just tell the vision of the, you know, it's a three-story clubhouse there with just th- like a 180 view of the Moray, Moray Firth. Am I saying it right? I'm worried nope, you're about saying, that. no, you're doing well. Uh, and the other thing I was going to point out was the fact that it's a Gil Hans design. Yep. So, uh, along with Mark Parsons. So, I think anybody that, um, you know, enjoys uh, his work will obviously enjoy Castle Stewart. I think he's very proud of it himself. And, uh, you know, a lot of what he speaks to in his design is um, certainly evident at Castle Stewart. Yeah. And I, I just, in, in doing this, you know, and one of the questions we got, and we'll get to some questions later, just about the difference between Scotland and Ireland. I think we've talked about this even in the past, is how 
much golf there is in certain regions. Whereas some of the big, the greatest hits in Ireland, you got to kind of drive a lot in between. Whereas here, and I, and I was speaking with some members up at Dornuck about just how the importance of having several good golf courses close by is for like the tourism, basically for an entire city. And I want to ask you some questions about cool links uh, up there in Dorna, because I think you may know a thing or two about that. I forget if we talked about that, but we'll get there. But um, just that whole area between in, of Inverness to be able to play Castle Stewart, Brora, Dornuck, and Nairn, which I didn't do in the first leg, but went back to and absolutely loved. It, uh, it's, it's such a great area, and I feel like it's just so underrated. And when people, you know, most people, myself included, before I started researching this trip, you know, you know the names of these courses, but I don't know where they are on a map. I don't know how close they are to each other. So that's yeah. that that whole region, and that's kind of the point of what, what I wanted to point out is, you know, everyone knows St. Andrews. And your first trip to Scotland is probably going to be St. Andrews and probably should be, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, maybe your second time there, you want to go up towards Aberdeen, we'll get to, and then, you, uh, you know, Inverness is not, and the Highlands are not far away and easy to get to. The roads were easy to drive. And there's like five great golf courses within, you know, earshot of each other. I played four rounds within my first, like, I don't know, 36 hours probably being there. And it was just phenomenal world-class golf. So, uh, yeah, Castle Stewart, fantastic place to start. Um, probably should have called it a day after that, to be honest. Uh, I was on two hours of sleep. I'd driven three hours, but... Uh, had you know contacted the the folks at Brora, which is about as far north as people reasonably go to play in Torisco, is that right? Yeah, that's basically Brora's the last stop before the uh kind of the, the end of the world it feels like uh, <laughs> out there. And I was meaning to say when you were speaking about the Highlands region there with all those golf courses, for people that are listening and, and maybe trying to convince their other half about coming over, uh, the new initiative that Scotland has is the thing called the North Coast 500. It's 500 miles of spectacular road up in the north of Scotland, which bypasses this whole region that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's to sort of replicate, it's a ripoff of the Route 500. Um, and it's it's uh, you know for people that are maybe petrol heads or cyclists. Um, so it's, it's if someone's wanting to combine a you know a partner trip and golf and come to Scotland, then that's maybe a, a good place for them to visit as well. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be driving any further than Brora. But absolutely, if you're going to play Dornock, you make the extra thirty minute drive and yeah. you, you hit Brora. And um, I'll leave you to tell everybody <laughs> what happened next. <laughs> So this is where I do have to defer from kind of giving any kind of advice or whatnot and tell a personal story because, uh, yeah, I drove, made the trip up there. I was playing with actually a couple, a couple podcast listeners, uh, uh, Campbell and Caleb I met up with. And so before like, we tee off, it was, it was like the most distracting round of my life because I get, uh, I hear through the grapevine that Phil and Bones are going to be breaking up. And I'm kind of torn up about it, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I'm out there playing, and I, I actually I got a phone call from Bones asking for my email address because he wants to send me a statement. I had to act like I didn't know what was up, but obviously I knew what was up. Um, so I knew that there was a statement coming out, so I spent the next, like, 45 minutes on my phone uh, just refreshing it, waiting for the statement to come through. And it did, and so I and I, I shared on Twitter, and uh, you know there was the statement went to several you know media outlets, but I shared on Twitter, and it just was going nuts. And again, we were all distracted. We were all on Twitter, just kind of reading everyone's reaction, and we just continue on to the back nine. And it, I I don't know, I was like punch drunk off no sleep and all that golf I played, 
we get to the 14th hole, um, 334 yards, and you know we, we kind of entertain some options on what to do. It was a little helping wind off the left. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, come on, you, you know what I'm going to do here. And <laughs> I grabbed the driver and just busted on one. And uh, Caleb was like, you know, that's, that's good ball. It's probably just short. And I was like, I don't think that's short of anything. Like, I destroyed that ball. We look up there, and uh, and there's no ball in front of the green. There's no ball to the right. There's no ball just past the green. And I kind of, I'm kind of ready to give up on it. And uh, Caleb goes over to the hole and looks in it and says, your ball is in the hole. And I did not fall for it. Like, there was no chance I was going to fall for that. I was like, no, this is what you do to visitors. Like, you're just pranking me. If I go over and look at this hole, you're going to have, like, a story to tell forever, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, it took, like, 20 more seconds before I finally went over and looked. And there it was. Callaway, Chrome Soft, the ball that changed the ball right there <laughs> in the bottom of the hole. My first ever ace came on a par four. I, I entered a state of shock. I don't even... Like I, I, we shot a quick video of me getting the ball out of the hole, and my voice is like shaking. Like I had no idea what to do. It just, it took forever to register uh, what had happened, and I, I, I still, I still can't believe it actually happened. A lot of people think that I was joking with the tweet, but I actually aced a par four, first ever ace, and I still don't know how it happened. Well, congratulations. Uh, firstly, um, lots of questions. Uh, I'm sure you had lots of questions. Uh, but right on brand, of course, 334 yard par four. It had to be, right? It had to. Uh, um, did you do the, uh, the the customary thing here in Scotland and and buy a bottle of whiskey that would sit on the bar, uh, or did you do the uh, American option and leg it for your your B and B? Uh, well, I, I'm now I feel stupid. I didn't know about a Scottish tradition, but I did go into the clubhouse and offer like, so word had already gotten back to the clubhouse that it, this had happened. Um, and they gave, like, they were so nice about it. They gave me like a, a plaque, like, or not a plaque, like a, a poster, a framed poster of, of like the sixth hole. It wasn't the hole I aced. That would have been amazing. But, uh, they gave me like a, a poster for, of Brewer and like, I went in up upstairs and there was like six, maybe six members and they had all heard about it. So I think they were waiting around for their drink. Um, but I just, I bought a round for everyone or I told everyone next round's on me and I don't, I don't know who ordered and who didn't. My tab was only 15 pounds. I, I felt like kind of ripped. I kind of, kind of felt gypped about it. Like I felt like you're supposed to like feel it in your wallet after an ace, right? Yeah, yeah. But I guess not at the end of the world there at Brona when there's probably a population of 2,000 people in the village. So. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, was there much tour sauce going on there on the tee shot? No, I, don't, I think there was probably a twirl in there because I did mm-hmm. bust on it. Um, but no, we never saw the ball go in, obviously. I mean, 300, it's, it's really, really far away. And it's kind of blind, um, and so we had we had no idea that the ball went in the hole. And I, I, part of me, like a small part of me, still thinks that one of the guys put the ball in the hole just to mess with me. Which I'm I'm hoping like ten years from now they don't tell me that they did that because it just seems so un, unlikely that that would go in. But I should also note at this point, of course, that this ace was made using the Callaway Epic Sub Zero driver. I've uh, really enjoyed the ball flight I've been getting out of this driver. Uh, the Sub-Zero head is a lower spinning head, and the ball is just trudging directly through the wind out here. I've had a little case of the hooks, but that's a me problem. That's not an epic problem. And that ball that I found at the bottom of the cup was, of course, a Callaway Chrome Soft ball. The ball that changed the ball. 
Uh, I also just got my Apex Pro irons in the mail today. Can't wait to bust them out this week. Uh, go to CallawayGolf.com for more information on all of this equipment. Uh, on the <laughs> golf course, um, again, it was just a super distracting round. I, w- I would love to go back out there. It was, again, an awesome night. Amazing sun just right there on the sea, like a, a cool breeze coming off that off the sea there. And, you know, sheep just freely roam around the property, like herding the grass. And they have electric, little like, tiny electric fences around the greens to keep the sheep off the greens. And it was just, it was awesome. It was like a perfect night. Um, there's a bunch of people out there playing and kind of soaking up the, the rare sun up there. And uh, uh, it, it was so cool. It, it's not like, I was expecting it to be really raw and really not well kept but it was not like that at all the, the greens were really nice the fairways were really good quality grass and uh i mean the layout was is it's not it's not a big golf course it's definitely like an old school little little tiny and not tiny but it's old school little gym course it's not a big grand castle Stewart like or king's barns but i was just really impressed with the conditioning of it and and how well kept it was and and everything about it i mean i think it's it's absolutely 100 percent worth 30 extra minutes from dornick yeah, and it's got one of the best green fees I think you'll you probably you had out there. It's like fifty pounds a round, and for what you're getting there, you're getting a ton of history, but you're getting a really good golf course. And I think the most of the courses you played on this trip, you could probably describe as fun, and Brora is certainly one of them. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there was like yeah, almost all of them. Not, there wasn't like a taxing. Carnoustie was like a taxing tough test. The rest of them are just like really really fun courses, but a lot of that's dictated by by the conditions and the wind and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, yeah Brewer's fantastic. Uh, Dor- next day I played 36 holes at Dornick, uh, which is basically the purpose of the trip going up there. Um, and, you know, everyone, ta- so, some people claim this is the greatest golf course in the world. And I've just, again, heard so much about it. Uh, it was phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. Um, it won't ever host an open championship. It just doesn't have the, the, you know, the structure in place to hit, to, to host something like that. But that is one of the, Greatest golf course I've ever played. Incredible condition, amazing. Just you know, the, the big, huge greens and so many like options on pin placements that just really changed the whole. So many elements of strategy into that course, and I, it, it would, it's one of those courses that I that would be super, super fun to play when you get if you when and if you're able to get your game dialed in and really kind of. Uh, I was kind of all over the map and I didn't play very well, but and, you know you can't, you don't get the full challenge of it or the full you know, thinking that you have to do on golf shots. And, you know, there's certain situations where I'd hit driver on a short par four and end up 50 yards away from the pin, but couldn't get to the pin. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad I have another round this afternoon because I know I can't do that. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, Dornick is no secret of anyone. I mean, and there's, there's a ton of Americans up there. I played with some in the morning. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a common, common place on your route, but, uh, man, I thought it was fantastic. Loved it. Met the hype, exceeded the hype. Uh, I would, I, I want to go back there badly. Yeah, you know, some people say that, um, you know, Royal Dornick's maybe that Alex Noren of golf course is super overrated. Um, you know, was it Golf Digest have it number five in the world? But I, uh, I never said he was overrated. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, aside from that, um, it, it is a super cool spot. I think the, a lot of when you go and play these golf courses is, you, you know, you're going to play the golf course, but you're also going to sort of experience the culture, the vibe of the yes. place. And uh, Dornock's 
very similar to St Andrews in that regard in terms of the, um, the, the the village there. You've got lots of restaurants and bars and other golfers that you can end up chatting to. And, and, and the golf course is like the epicentre of it all. And um, much of what goes on in the town has um, sort of came from the, the golf course and, and obviously the history of the golf course dating back all those years. So uh, that, that's a cool spot and certainly somewhere that somebody should consider hunking down and, and spending a couple of days golfing in the area. And basing yourself from Dornoch. Exactly. And I had that exact experience actually on my finishing my second 18. There was kind of a backup, and I ended up playing in with a couple members. And, you know, we just got to chat, and, and uh, they had actually uh, we, they were, asked me where I'd been on my trip. I was like, up at Brora. And he was like, oh, I heard somebody got a hole in one up there last night on a par four. And I was like, <laughs> you heard that? Well, that was me. Uh, that was it was awesome. And then uh, we went in the clubhouse and like had I like had three or four beers with them after the round, just talking about the area and talking about you know tourism and trying to get more people up there and how great it would be for the town if they built another golf course up there, which I again wanted to ask you about. Um, but just kind of got the full experience of you know. You know, shooting the shooting the shit with members and and uh, having a couple beers, telling stories and hearing about golf courses and soaking up the local vibe. And that's kind of something that if you you know if you do a buddies trip, you might not get that. And that's why I felt so fortunate. I was up there by myself and just playing uh, played some some holes out there by myself, but mostly was playing with somebody else. But you get that just that extra experience of talking to locals and and it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. But. Um, so what do you know about this potential new course near Dornick? I believe, is it called Cool Links? Cool Links, yes, yeah, spelled C-O-U-L. Um, obviously uh, okay. named after the little village there. Uh, but I really came uh, knew about this golf course from a, an Alan Shipnook podcast that he had with Mike Kaiser probably 18 months ago. And at the time, I wasn't working with the European Tour. I was all in. I was working in the Scottish golf tourism industry and very keen to obviously learn about any new developments that were taking place. So I um, made a contact up in uh, the Dornock area and and travelled up and we we walked the site of the proposed new golf course on a November's evening um, and as I was walking across this barren landscape um, two other gentlemen came across us uh, and one of them happened to be Mike Kaiser himself wow. uh, along, alongside the, uh, his p- partner on the ground there Todd Warnock who owns uh, a very nice property and, and now hotel in Dornock uh, Lynx House which anybody that's got the money to uh, stay there definitely should um, super luxury and right on the first tee at, at Dornock um, so it was uh, through that chance encounter that I was invited back to Link's house in Dornick and sat down with both the uh, both the gentlemen and they shared their vision and their plans and uh, I, I frantically drove home, wrote up the article and before you know it, I was breaking the story of who exactly was behind the uh, project and who the um, hopeful architects would be. Um, and Ben Ben Coor and, and and Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw are the, are the guys behind it. So, um, yeah, that, that that was a cool chance encounter, and I think it's a really exciting uh, project on the horizon. Uh, at the moment, it's going through some uh, some planning issues. There's some environmental issues. Uh, I think uh, talking about uh, golf developments in Scotland is a, a sensitive subject, given the you know, Donald Trump's involvement down in Aberdeen and the fact that that was built on a protected site. So they're maybe facing some challenges with the with the golf course, but uh, the, their hope and their vision is to make it 
a good thing for the area. So a lot of the time people drive up to Dornoch, as you experienced, and then mm-hmm. they play the golf course and they get on their bus and they drive back to Inverness, which right. is about 40 minutes drive. And their vision is to keep the the revenue and, and the tourism in Dornock and half guys stay there for the week and play the other golf courses um, so hopefully it happens it sounds like a great project and um, you know with the guys involved and the vision they've got I think it could be so uh, only time will tell on that one well that's a great story I had not heard that whole story but that's exactly what the uh, member said that I was talking to you know it would be great yeah. to get people staying in Dornock and I, uh, I, I stayed at the Dornock Hotel which is right close by the uh it's not as close as the hotel you mentioned but it's close by the first tee it, mm-hmm. it it's 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 a it's a dated hotel but it was like 55 pounds a night or something to stay there and perfect location and just kind of all i need i mean for me when i travel for golf i don't need a big fancy hotel room i just need a place to sleep and shower that's pretty much it so yeah that got the job done usually i'm like I'm I'm doing it as cheap as possible. I just quit my job. I'm balling on a budget right now. So um, I, I'm look, I'm in an Airbnb right now, actually near the Edinburgh airport. I have an early flight tomorrow morning, and uh, it's in a private room. And uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm doing it on the cheap. So I try I try to as best I can. So, um, but yeah, I stayed there in Dornick for a couple nights actually. Um, but there's just not a lot of whole lot going on in the town. And I think they they're they're thinking if they build that golf course, then that's going to kind of just totally transform that town and people are going to stay in it, eat in it and, uh, and kind of get a, get a, get a different golf experience. So, yeah. Um, so wait, who was saying this golf course is overrated? You mentioned that earlier. I, I had not heard that. Yeah, no, you just, some people like when you get there and, and what I love about the podcast that I do, me and you were going back and forth on text was the fact that rating golf courses is, is so subjective. There's yeah. never a right or wrong answer. Um, so, you know, rankings aside, you know, I, I'm not one for them, but a lot of the time you see Doric up, up alongside your Pine Valleys and your Pebble Beach yeah. and your old course. So, you know, in that conversation, people, you know, do give it some some stick, but uh, I love it. But, you know, there's no right or wrong answer right or wrong answer on that one yeah i agree i'm with you and i've said it before on here just about you know people always want to know rank how do you rank the courses it's it's a foolish task i think my my thing is is like is something worth it It, it, isn't like an enjoyable walk do i have fun out there some people get really into the architecture i like i i it's it's like a it's a part of how i evaluate a course And, and you know I really take note of um, some strategic elements to it, mostly just dealing with bunkers. I love bunkers on Lynx courses, and I think that like, a well-bunkered course is the most fun kind of course you can play. Um, but I don't get, I don't super nerd into into the architecture and whatnot. But that that course just made me like I was just walking around the greens, looking at random pin position placements, and uh, in awe of you know how many different options they had and how many different ways you could play that course and the strategy elements. So. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's great. Um, but again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rank them all. But uh, so I, I, I let's we'll go out of order for what I did. But then the last for that area, I think the, of the main ones would be Nairn, which I skipped the first leg, but made the trip back up for. Um, didn't know a whole lot about it, and enough people said to me like, "You need to go check it out." Man, I what well, absolutely love that course. First of all, we had no, almost no wind. Which I think is a, quite it was the rarity on this trip and a rarity for that uh, property. But uh, so it's really flat course, but I love the bunkering. Just going off what I just said, how they kind of have these raised bunkers from the fairway, so it's a perfectly flat fairway. 
and you like you have you're hitting over a bunker that's like a sod face bunker that's just in front of the green. I just think that it's, a, it's such a cool look and design element uh, of a course. Just have these bunkers that just pop up out of nowhere. Uh, what what could you tell me about Nairn, or what is your your overall experience with Nairn? Yeah, Nairn's certainly in the bracket of these big courses, uh, hosted Walker Cups and Curtis Cups, I believe, uh, Solheim Cups, I believe. Um, so they've got some pedigree there. Uh, very old golf course. Uh, not a, not a place I'd probably stay. Of course, you want to visit and get to Inverness or Dornach or Aberdeen, whatever destination you're or region you're going to stay in for the night. Um, but certainly uh, worthy of a, of a visit. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not mad for the maybe the aesthetics of the golf course. You'll get better views uh, elsewhere in Scotland. But uh, we're we're spoiled for choice in right. uh, with so many golf courses, and um, I believe uh, Bacon loves Nairn and. Um, he uh, he's certainly considering membership there. So uh, well, he's yeah. talking me into it. We're both talking yeah. about it. Like I could, I would do it. Like I, it was. I, you you say they're not the best views, mostly because it is just such a flat property. But those first seven holes do run right along the sea, and yeah. you, and you walk from like from the parking lot out to that first tee along this walkway right along the sea. I thought that was awesome. Um, but it, it is an old golf course, which I and so back to what I was saying about the mixture of the different types of courses you get. Um, I just love, you know, Castle Stewart's 30 minutes away, this, this almost brand new golf course that's this big ballpark, big wide fairways, and then you got some Nairn. Just a completely different experience, completely different walk. Um, had a lot of, you know, it's, it's tight in spots, but the fescue was, you know, findable for your ball for the most part, and you could play out of it, but it was punishing. Like, that's my favorite kind of fescue. I think that's how fescue should play it almost at all times. Is if you can, I know it's really hard stuff to maintain, but... Uh, I got to play, I played, <laughs> there was a fivesome in front of me that asked me to join them on the back nine, so I played in <laughs> with five members uh, as a sixsome, I hope we don't get in trouble for that, but, uh, and then uh, Sean Burgess is the assistant pro there, he recommended to me to make sure to ask about the archive room, have you been in the archive room there? Uh, shamefully I haven't, but uh. I have lived through your pictures and other people's pictures of the room and uh, Nairn, you know, like many coaches in Scotland, pride themselves on the history and Nairn probably do the, the best job of uh, documenting their history there. It's, uh, it, it looks like almost like a museum. That it little is. Room. Oh, I, I want a room like this in my house in the future. It's just golf books and like all kinds of old information. They had like a membership packet from like 1912 in there and they had just all these plaques and chairs and like of course some scotch there and like a like a you know a big a nice glass whatever you call it with glasses there ready to be drank and like my goal is to is to record a podcast from that room sometime in the future maybe when me and bacon are members but um, <laughs> no i thought Nairn was phenomenal and i kind of felt dumb after i went back and played it um, I felt dumb that I missed it the first time around because I kind of you can't. I mean, you, it, it's the way it works. You can't play them all usually, um, but it just felt like, wow, how did I, how did I not, you know, fit this into my in my schedule the first time through? Because I, I do definitely think it's a, a can't miss course. So yeah. So that, that, that's you've really hit every big course in that region. Um, you you started your your first week uh, in the Aberdeen region and, and Crudit Bay, my home course, and. Uh, 
I don't know if you want to share the sort of the party you you went with and sort of the size of group and, yeah, and your plans so, and objectives. Well, first I was going to say, did we miss any golf courses in that area that I that I didn't play that you are would also recommend adding in uh, in any itinerary? Uh, one course that kind of speaks to the other side of it. I talk about. Uh, accessible public golf courses, affordable golf. Uh, one that's not like that, probably more like an American type of experience in terms of the uh, hospitality is Skibo okay. Castle, um, which is right next to Dornock. And you can play public. Uh, they've got limited public tee times there of uh, £300 per person. So it's not cheap, but it's such a great golf course and one that I was lucky enough to play about a month ago with my co-host and good friend Graylin Loomis, uh, who writes for Lynx magazine. Uh, so we we played that. It's uh, you know certainly a Lynx golf course. Something that I didn't realise it was built with you know a lot of the sand that uh, it's in the the Murray Firth there that runs alongside and uh, yeah very high end experience. But mm. uh, one that if if guys are wanting a, you know a high level experience and they're in the in Dornick for long enough, then uh, certainly check it out. But um, you've got Goldsby, you've got Fortros, you've got lots of other options. You've got enough there for at least a week's golf. So, uh, it... and so people listening, you're welcome to ask me questions um, if you're planning a Scotland trip. But man, the guy you want to talk to is the guy on the other end of this phone. And this guy helped me plan Scotland two years ago before we'd even ever met. Was helping me plan stuff. So. If you have questions about Scotland golf travel, first of all, check out the Scottish Golf Podcast that Rue hosts as well, and shoot him any questions on Twitter. He's always willing to help, and he knows a lot more than I do. So, um, continuing along for the next leg of the trip, which you uh, planned, helped plan most of, and helped put together, which was uh, so deeply appreciated. It was absolute blast. Um, met up with Shane Bacon. From Fox, Ashley Mayo, um, and several of her friends, Jeff, Jeff, Tom, Patrick Koenig, um, Hallie Ledbetter was there. Uh, we met up to play seven courses in four days. We met up at Cruden Bay, um, which I believe, is it is Cruden Bay basically your de facto home course, or what is exactly your tie there? You used to work in the, in the, in the pro shop there, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I used to have like four jobs in there. I used to carry there. Um, yeah, and I'm a, now I'm just a member there. So I'm lucky. That's where I grew up playing. And that's where I really became interested in talking about Scottish golf courses. When I was a little like 12, 13-year-old, I uh, would go out and play my course as normal. But I would also hear lots of voices, lots, lots of Australian voices, American voices. And I, I started to wonder why people bothered to come all the way around the world to play my course. Right. Um, <laughs> And and sort of as you grow up and appreciate uh, golf courses, I now I realize why. So yeah, um, so you you talk about this place all the time. I see pictures about it from it all the time. And again, it just kind of it, I I thought it would feel like I had been there before, just because of how much I've seen of it. Um, it just goes to show how you know social media and and Instagram and pictures and whatnot can can motivate you to get to a place, but it doesn't give you an idea. Doesn't even come close to, to painting the picture of what it's like to be there and play it. We absolutely loved the golf course. It's it is stunning. There's so many awesome, cool design elements to it. Uh, Les, the general manager, was so kind. He came out and walked several holes with us. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And uh, you know, telling us facts about the golf course, about you know, they they I think it was the fifth or sixth hole. They rediscovered part of an old Tom Morris green like from the 1800s, and, and they extended the green to connect into that, and just incredible history in this club. And 
just some amazingly fun golf holes. Uh, I, I, it, it, again, I, it's going to sound, I'm almost going to say this about every golf course, about it exceeding the height, but that was, we had downwind, no winds that evening or not much wind. And it was, it was pretty gettable. I thought, uh, I actually loved it so much that I went back and played it a second time in the wind. It was quite different. Let me tell you that. But, uh, yeah. man, Cruden Bay, uh, it was, it was phenomenal. I, any trip you're doing to Aberdeen area at all needs to include Cruden Bay. And, you know, you mentioned about how it, you hope when it doesn't exceed the hype. Well, uh, on, on my podcast, you know, I joke, I call it the Crude May podcast because people that I have on end up talking about it and, uh, you know, love it so much. But Alan Shipnook, Jeff Shackelford, Matt Janella, those three guys, I think, all rate Crude May, if not their favorite, they're, you know, certainly in their top two in Scotland. So when you've got guys like that who, let's just say they've played a lot of golf, um, you know, saying that and, you know, guys that know about golf courses, and um, I think it, it's certainly testament to the, the quality of golf course that it is. And uh, could you could you imagine a Scottish Open or some sort of tournament there? I get it; probably doesn't have the infrastructure, doesn't have the hotel rooms nearby, but uh, it would be pretty special to see that on on television and um, seeing some of the players play it. So. Yeah, there's so many just cool, fun holes, and I know I know that it gets knocked a bit. If there's ever a criticism of the course, it's the amount of blind shots. Um, do, do I guess I should ask? Do you hear that a lot, or do you hear that as a critique? Uh, a little bit, um, and again, it's it's subjective. Um, I always try to educate people about the blind shots and right. if they don't like them. Like Tom Morris was building, uh, building. He was walking the golf course in 1899, um, you know, basically with a shovel. And uh, when somebody says, "Oh my God, there's a big sand dune there. I can't see the green," well, Tom Morris didn't have a, a trap there. He right. had a shovel, and it's just trying to like, "Oh yeah, right. I realize now why that's not the case. Why they didn't bulldoze." Um, it was basically people's bare hands that were building these golf courses then. And, hmm. um, they were using the natural land. It was very, you know, cost effective. Didn't have to do any shaping of the land too much just the green sites and uh, you know I think it's just t- making that switch to realizing well they're not building the golf course with the the tools available now they're doing it in, in you know 18 1900 so um, I, I I like it but I yeah. can see why somebody who's coming from the American side you know it's alien to them it's very different so uh, I see it but it's about embracing it you're there you know these golf courses have been sustainable from from that time uh, through now and, and that's you know built with low cost said so it's about embracing it and not like beating yourself up I mentioned I used to caddy uh, at Cruden Bay I was in a, a group with Steve Ballmer the, I think he's like the eighth yeah. richest man in the world <laughs> a guy behind Microsoft and this guy if anyone, and does he own a uh, basketball team as he well owns the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, yeah. Yeah, now this guy, uh, I, I've since um, YouTubed a lot of videos and he is just the way he appears, just hyper. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he hated Cruden Bay. <laughs> he absolutely hated it. He, he was talking about walking off like no. from the 12th green and uh, I just had to, bite, I had to bite my tongue, A, because I knew who he was, but um, B, because I was caddying in his group. But um, yeah, just sort of ignorance to the fact that um, it's an old golf course right. and um, but yeah, that was that was one of my uh, favorite rounds. I think with him, uh, he was just uh, he was nuts. But that's but that's <laughs> exactly why I brought it up is I wanted to hear that the exact explanation you gave, right? And that when you go play some of these courses, they're not always 
they're they're de- they're definitely not built in, in the same era as like the Castle Stewart we were talking about in this modern era of you know bulldozers and able to shape land however you want it. You built around the land, you know, and that's part of what you get when you play these old courses is that experience of this is what this golf course pretty much looked like in the 1800s. And I know they make changes and move tee boxes around and whatnot, but that's part of the deal is the original structure and design of these holes is the same. And, uh, and that's what makes it, makes it so fun and interesting. I think, you know, going out for the second time, it was so much easier. And there's a, I don't forget who had the saying of a, a shot is only blind the first time you played it. Like there was yeah. so much less fear in, in some of the shots I was hitting the second time around because I knew what was up there and I knew where to aim and whatnot. So uh, maybe it is, of course, you need to play twice. But I mean, the blind—I just have heard that as criticism. It was not a criticism from my end because I was a prepared for it, and b you know I t- even talked with Les about it. Some he's like, "This was uh, like you just said—that's the natural use of the land. You can't just move a dune out of the way." So um, yeah, phenomenal golf course. Um, again, so good that I want went back for a second time. I thought it was the best in all of the Aberdeen uh, area. So yeah, and it's it's certainly a course that. You know, I don't know if you have one of the questions about caddies, but um, that's one that I would probably suggest getting if you can only uh, manage one one round there and you don't have the time for two. Yep. Uh, and staying in the village there again, the Kamarnock Arms, where I yep. got had you guys staying, you know, cool spot. You can walk to the uh, third and fourth holes within yep. a couple of minutes from there, and uh, you know, walk around the village and uh, good food and drink. So, the Kamarnock Arms there in the village is certainly worth staying at. Um, when you're you're playing Cruden Bay, but um, then it was um, it was kind of an early start for you guys down to Carnoustie, and thankfully Colin, your driver, was up for uh, a six thirty start um, <laughs> down the road in your luxury eight seater coach, well, as uh, as you guys at Nolling Up like to travel. That's I wanted to talk about that next. So I had only ever done Scotland trips by car, renting a car, and that's always my advice: people just rent a car. This was my first time this these three four days with um with you know with, with a, a rented luxury coach with a driver uh I loved it the coach was amazing i mean it was it this so there was and again full disclosure as always i there was a lot of uh free golf for me on this trip uh, but you know there was some things also a lot of things that were paid for, and one of them is the the luxury coach, but it was uh, totally can we, can, can we just pause and have James Corrigan typing away frantically? <laughs> I did. I did pay at uh, at uh, uh, at Nairn, and I I thought about tweeting at him like, "Great round at Nairn." Hey, Jamie, I paid today. Actually, um, yeah. no. Part of a lot of uh, the courses are very accommodating for um, for for us, and that's super appreciated. And that and the obviously we are going to document our experiences there, share them with you guys. But uh, as a result of that, they are able to usually arrange complimentary tea times for us. So. Um, I don't have, and I'm, I'm going to include them in, uh, in the post for all the, uh, for all these courses about, uh, greens fee information. I don't have them all necessarily handy at the top of my head, but uh, you're obviously much more familiar with that. So you can fill that in, but, um, yeah, renting, having a driver and having a van for like an eight person trip is perfect. First of all, cause you probably need two cars. If you're going to, you definitely need two cars if you have eight people, um, and you talk about just overall relative cost and convenience of it didn't even like feel like you're traveling like you're just in a, in a you know you're you're telling stories you're laughing and there's eight of you sitting around in a van it's super nice it's leather seats and you know Colin's filling up waters and has snacks for us like there, that was a different way of doing Scotland golf travel that I had never done before and I I thoroughly enjoyed it I think if you have more than four people that's definitely an option you're going to want to go. Yeah, and I don't know if Colin had Wi-Fi, but some of these coaches have Wi-Fi and the ability to sort yep. of document yeah. your trip when you're going. And 
And like any trip, whether it's golf or otherwise, being with the group and being able to reminisce about certain shots and spending that time together, um, you know, without flagging up too much about the itinerary that you chose, there was a lot of driving in there because most of your group were coming to Scotland for the first time and wanted to cram in as much as they, they could. So, um, you know, naturally, the, uh, ideally, sorry, there wouldn't be so much driving between the courses, but um, the way it shaped up, I think taking the luxury coach um, option um, is is a good way to go, especially guys on their first trips that want to maybe do a little bit more. Yep. Um, and if, if you do have kind of the uh, more than kind of four guys, it certainly makes it um, uh, a more affordable option than you may you may think. So um, certainly worth considering. Yes. And some people aren't necessarily that comfortable driving on the other side of the road, yeah. on the other side of the car, and mm-hmm. uh, some roads can, you know, just driving a different country can be a bit intimidating. So that's something that I've always said in the past, you've got to rent a car, but that, I, and after experiencing this, I think it uh, is another consideration. So uh, shout out to Colin. He was awesome. He was so much fun. He, he, so it also helped Colin is a, is a member at Royal Aberdeen. He used to be the club captain there and is a golfer through and through. And his excitement for the our experience was was cool too. Like he's out there taking photos, and he just it, it was cool to have a somebody in within the experience that was a golfer and was into it, you know, and, and could really add to the experience. So, uh, yeah. Next morning we were up early and off to Carnoustie because uh, you mentioned a lot of driving times, but I, honestly we didn't even like notice it because you're just in the car. You don't even like you don't have to you know you know sketch it out on a map or worry about GPS or anything. It's all taken care of for you. So that was. That was great. But yeah, it's Carnoustie. I played Carnoustie two years ago, and I thought it was my favorite of all of the courses I played in the St. Andrews area uh, the first time around. But again, had a nice day, and I played great. This time around, we got wet a little bit. It wasn't too bad. We got a little wet in the beginning. The wind blew strong and didn't really stop for a whole week. Uh, and I didn't play great. So I didn't just didn't walk off Carnoustie just absolutely raving about it the last time I did. Uh, I think, you know, if I can, I think we can go a little faster through something like that because a, I think people are are mostly familiar with Carnoustie, um, or at least, you know, this is a course that's going to be that first Scotland trip you take. If you're going to St. Andrews, it's 45 minutes up the road and it's just gotta be something that you, that you play. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, and the fact that it's uh, probably the easiest open rotor golf course to to get on. It's uh, they have some members, but um, you know if you're booking in advance, you're, you probably can get a tee time there quite easily. Certainly easier than a Royal Troon or a Muirfield or an old course. Right. Um, so yeah, and and that was another reason for my podcast and why I started doing the podcast was to showcase these other golf courses because there is so many great links golf courses in Scotland, and it seems to be the 10 or 11 that always gets spoken or written about um so i think you're right we can we can kind of rush over carnoustie and well, obviously sh- at the same time i don't want to rush over it too fast because I, yeah. I feel like you know the first experience i had there I, I should have got a caddy this time around i got one the first time and he was awesome just directed me around that golf course in the right way and i i you know i didn't have that this time around and probably should have and I just I hit a couple balls out of bounds. Six like the sixth and seventh hole were dead into the wind. Six is a par five. It's called Hogan's Alley, and just this OB runs right up against the hole, and it's so challenging into the wind. And I piped two of those out of bounds and hit another one out of bounds on the next hole. So that was just kind of in a daze after that. But um, it is I mean it's so much fun that those that finishing stretch is such an incredible stretch of golf. So challenging. That seventeenth hole is one of the hardest holes I've ever played in the world. Um, and and I do need to comment that. First of all, I, I'm going to try to get Bacon on to kind of debrief from this as well. But Bacon 
scheduled his flight for the wrong day and missed Cruden Bay had to, and landed the morning of Carnoustie and had to take a taxi from Edinburgh like two hours to Carnoustie and uh, rolled up onto the course. And then on 18, in the downwind, he almost drove it into the burn. <laughs> it was I've never seen a golf ball go that far, professionals included. Like he almost hit, It was 400 yards and almost went into the burn. Uh, but I, I want to say if I need to make fun of Bacon more to his face whenever whenever I'm able to get him on. But he's a busy guy. But that's how how can you mess up your flights to Scotland? That's like Couture-esque or something. Oh, that God. that is so he, bad. Cruden Bay is his favorite too, and he had to miss it. So I I was I was I was happy about that because I was so mad at him for screwing up his flight. <laughs> Uh, uh, one one thing to point out about Carnoustie is that it will host the Open next year. Yep. Um, so was there? Uh, it's difficult. These courses play so different for um, you know professional mm-hmm. events. But um, what kind of golf course do you sense that? Um, you know, what, what player does that suit? Um, for it's obviously difficult. And you, you yeah. see, last time it hosted the the Open, it came up with a you know a strange winner to say the least. And um, you know Paul Laurie and and uh, Podrick Harrington the year, the year after that. So yeah. um, it's uh it, it's it feels tight to me at times, you know. And, and we're going we're playing uh probably I think we played one up tees. I don't think we played it all the way back. Um, and it, it the the conditions are going to dictate everything, just like with all these courses. I mean, the, when it, when the wind was not so bad the first time around we played it, I felt it was manageable. This time, the wind was was howling, and it was so difficult to get your ball in the fairway. And once you're off the fairway, there you're just kind of done. But um, I, I I know while I was playing it, I just wasn't picturing it as you know an open championship course or thinking about it as an open championship course. I was so caught up in the experience of playing it, um, and it is totally different tee boxes and whatnot. But you know, it's it's kind of I feel like a guy that just was, is good with a hybrid or long iron off those tees because there's just not a ton of drivers that you need out there for those guys. I think that's that's uh, that's I don't know, that's something someone I think could win out there. But uh, yeah, I haven't started thinking about the 2018 Open <laughs> Championship just yet. I'm still in 2017, which I picked Kepka to win before the season, and I have to stick with it. People are gonna think I'm a bandwagon jumper, but yeah. Um, no, I do love Carnoustie. I would love. I would go back there for a third time and play it. I mean, it's such a it's such a fantastic test. People, you know, people call it car nasty and say it's like way too hard. I just did not. It's playable golf course. I mean, it was super challenging with the conditions we had, but it's not like an unmanageable course. It's not the most picturesque course. It's not. You know, there weren't a ton of photos taken out there, but uh, it's it's a it's a super fun experience. So yeah. After that. Uh, led to probably, I'm confident in saying, the most fun afternoon of golf I have ever had, I think. Um, it's a little little, little hidden gem uh, up there in Fife uh, called the Old Course at St. Andrews. Uh, we, we took a bus down, took our bus down there, made it you know, 20 minutes before our tee time. Uh, only four of us, we haven't only had one tee time there, so only four of us were able to play. We'll get to the other four, we're able to line up and play. Um, You've talked uh, before we tell the story. You've talked at least at length about um, how to get on the old course, but and I talked about it on the pod two years ago. But uh, you helped me with it two years ago when I was figuring it out, and now I feel like I've got it pretty much down. But for people planning a trip to Scotland, uh, getting on the old course, how do you how do you start explaining to them how to get on the old course? Yeah, first thing I say is don't make it the be all and end all of your trip. Like right. I feel like a lot of people. Uh, if they don't get an old course tea time, it kind of blows out the chance of going to Scotland. And the old course is such a draw for people that it can actually harm 
people come to Scotland. Like Ireland don't have that one course where it clogs up all the traffic and people have to go through. Um, so they that way, um, if you're comparing the two, I think it's actually sometimes beneficial to have uh, a course that's uh, or and not beneficial to have a course that's clogged up with with people. Um, but I understand it's the home of golf. Everyone wants to play it. Yeah. So uh, the four ways you can play is in um, the kind of fall season, you can apply an advanced reservation. So you just submit the dates you want to play on the um, the old course, St. Andrews um, website, so standrewslinks.com, um, and you can do that. And it's a ballot system. It's obviously overwhelmed with the applications, and you might have a 20% chance of getting drawn out. Failing that, you... Uh, you, your second option at this stage, about a year out or six months out or however long you're out, uh, is to buy a premium tea time. Uh, it's it's guaranteed all course tea time, but you have to buy into a package. You have to go through a tour operator. It's uh, going to be pretty pricey, but that way you're guaranteed uh, an all course tea time. And for most people, that you know that suits. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the third option is um, just going for it. Booking your trip and leaving yourself time uh, to hopefully get an old course tea time, which you guys did uh, the first time you came over, was just give yourself that time in St Andrews to go through the two different processes. So the third option would be to have the uh, the, the daily ballot, which is not uh, on the day; it's forty eight hours prior. And again, you submit your um, your names, your details, and you're drawn out. Uh, again, overwhelmed with applications, and you maybe have a twenty-five percent chance of getting pulled out. Maybe twenty-five to to forty percent chance of getting out of that. Um, and then the final option is what Ashley and sh- and other guys did was queue up. Um, sorry, not Ashley. All the, the other four guys that never got out on the on the course, and like you did last time, was just set your alarm clock for four thirty. Um, roll up, queue up, similar to what they do at Bethpage. In, in the states, uh, just basically uh, queue queue up. People ask, um, "How do we get the old, how do you get onto the old course?" And I go, "You get on the old course if you want it enough." And yep. then that morning queue allows that to happen. So um, you basically wait in line. The starter comes along at six o'clock, takes your name, and then they just go through the the uh, empty spaces, filling up with the people that uh, woke up early enough. Um, so I think the group that you were with were up like. Um, Saturday morning, seven o'clock or whatever they were, they oh, were um, they out on the go. <laughs> well, so so when I did it two years ago, I did back to back days. We lined up sometime between four fifteen and four thirty, and we were you know, two through five in line the first time, and then the next day, ten college kids were in front of us, so we were like eleven through fifteen, and the college yeah. kids like, camped out overnight. Now, I told the, the, our group, like, around, you know, do it around that time, but they received advice from somebody else that they needed to be there even earlier. And it turns out they did need to be there even earlier. So they lined up around 3 or 3.15 this year. Um, and they got, they were like, um, I forget, maybe five, six, seven, eight in line or something like that. Um, and they, they got the same miracle that we got a couple years ago and that they got a foursome off, which is almost unheard of, foursome at 7 a.m., so... They got the whole the full experience as well. So yeah, exactly what we said. You, if you want to play the old course bad enough, you'll get out. So if you I'm, so far the two times I've done it, and then the, with this group, like I'm considering myself three for three. I didn't do it line up with them, but like the story of lining up and doing it three for three, and that everyone has got that has gotten there early before six a.m. 
has gotten to play the old course. So it's worth it. It's cool. It's fun. Grab some coffee if you uh, if there's anything. There's nowhere open. If you can make some coffee and then go um, yeah. and just line up, and that's part of the experience. And, you know, you may be playing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You can go home and nap after that, or you can go play somewhere else if you want, and you can go play the old course. So you can make it happen. It, it, it can work. Yeah, and, and that's – to make it happen, I think you need to give yourself, like, two – Two days, three nights in St. Andrews, giving yourself lots of, you know, chance, uh, you know, a couple of chances to get in the daily ballot uh, 48 hours prior and then giving yourself a couple of nights to rock up and uh, queue and, and cross your cross your fingers. So, uh, And it's just yeah. a fun area to hang out in, even if you're not playing it. Like, literally today, so I'm recording this on Monday, July 3rd. Um, I've been on Scotland for two weeks. I had a free day today. I met up with some random buddies from the States, and we just went to St. Andrews today. Like We, we asked about the old course just just by chance, any chance. They're like, no, not getting out today. Um, and we went over and played the new course. Like The new course is fantastic. I, I played it two years ago. I didn't get to play it this time around. I love that golf course. I think it's so fun, such a fun style of links, and it, you know, people think it's new. It's like built in like 1895. Like It's still super old golf course and it's like really fun strategic bunkering on that course and just kind of a simple links course that is a lot of fun so even if you go and don't get on the old course go play the other go play jubilee go play the new course and you can't not have a great time you're still hitting at the same st andrews skyline and you're still in st andrews playing golf you can see the old course from there and you're welcome to walk around the old course as well it's a park it's a public place like no one's going to kick you off the golf course so just that whole area is so, so special, so much fun. It's like now my fourth time going. And again, I just wanted to walk around the grounds today. Yeah. And, you know, St. Andrews, apart from the golf, which obviously dominates the town, and it's a bit surreal seeing the old course right in the middle of town for the first time. You literally drive past it uh, as, you, as you go into town. It's got so much else going on. Uh, it's obviously a popular sport, uh, spot for general tourists that come through Scotland uh, with the old cathedral and castle. But um, throughout the year, dominated by the university there in town as well. So it's a really vibrant, cool place um, to hang out as well in the evenings. Um, and then obviously has, has that, all that golf going on as well. Yeah. And, and so I forget who had the quote. So I think maybe it was Bobby Jones had the quote of, you know, if you say you love the old course and you've played it less than 10 times, you're lying. Um, I, and I forget what, why that, that's a, that saying is or something like you just can't really fully appreciate it until you've really played it a bunch of times. The first two times I played it, as much as, as amazing as that experience was, I don't think I fully understood the golf course. I just didn't, you know, maybe didn't have my game dialed in and I felt like I was kind of playing from behind the whole time and just couldn't, couldn't you know, kind of one foot over the other tripping over myself. Uh, this time around, I feel like I got the full experience, like a late, you know, afternoon tea time, evening round, the sun came out, the weather was pretty solid. We had a really strong wind, but it was the prevailing wind and it was the wind that the golf course was designed to be played in. And I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever had more fun playing golf. I mean, I went out in four over and just couldn't wipe a smile off my face because there was a brutal wind into our face and off the left, the hardest wind for a right-hander. You're just trying to keep the ball on the property because all the trouble is off to the right. Um, and, you know, uh, it was it was just so much fun. So the very first tee shot, Bacon hits an iron. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, Bacon hits an iron. He's like used to caddy out here. Like he knows what he's doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit an iron. I hit an iron. I get up there and I have like 190 into number one. And the cat, my caddy is like, yeah, you probably, probably should hit driver back there. Um, he's like, you got to lay this up. 
And I was like, oh, that, that is, sorry, man, that is not an option. I'm contractually obliged to not lay up. And he's like, you can't, I don't think you can clear the burn. And I was like, well, I'm going to try. And he was right. I hit in the burn and made double bookie uh. to start the round. But, um, the wind turned, you know, you used to, you, you got to earn it. You got to get through those first nine holes. And then well, really, you know, eight, eight plays, eight and nine play downwind and then 10 and 11 play back into it. Um, but we got, once it turned, once we turned back towards the clubhouse, that stretch in the, in the evening with the sun hitting you and that downwind off the right. Um, it's just, it's so much fun. Like, you know, you're in having a caddy just helps so much because, you know, you say you end up with a shot that you have like 156 flag. Like when I'm in the States or if I'm on my own, I think 156 flag and you know, maybe that's a nine iron, whatever. He's like, you have 156 flag, the wind's off your right, but you have 112 to carry the swale. That's all you want to do is carry the swale. The rest is going to take care of it, blah, blah, blah. So we're usually, maybe I would have reached for a nine iron. I'm reaching for a gap wedge now and hitting it at the, you know, landing at 115, 120, whatever, and then watching the slope take it down to like 20 feet. And just that kind of challenge and that kind of, uh, Brett was my caddy, shout out to Brett, who just guided me around this golf course. And we had just the most fun. And I, I birdied, birdied 10, 14, 15, and 18 to shoot three under on the back and just could not have been like a happier person on the planet. It was just the, the, the most fun you could ever imagine. There was like a, an audience gathering around 18 as we teed off and jigger in was going absolutely nuts for the shot bacon hit into the road hole. And it was, it was, it was the best. I, I think I said, this is the best probably 20 times during that round. It was, I've never had more fun. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned about the first time you play the old course. It's I think the word people use is underwhelming, and yeah. uh, it's because you don't get it. You don't get the hype. Uh, you certainly don't realize that you're. You don't get a sense that you're in St Andrews for the first kind of twelve holes. But then the minute you turn and you start seeing the skyline and you're playing that stretch uh, back to the the town, it's it's pretty special. And the double greens, the the hidden bunkers, it. it makes a lot of sense once you've played it a number of times and you've been fortunate to play it uh you know certainly three or four times so um it's it's special and it's you can see the the lure of it and you know being able to grow up in scotland and you get to go to so many open championships because it's only a couple hours away i I remember age nine the the thousand open when uh, tiger and monty were going at it and then one of monty's many memorable uh, glorious failures um, but uh, yeah, it's just a you know special course. Uh, seeing the sort of history taking place there on a regular basis, and I'm surprised more more guys don't maybe come over and play the Dunhill, um, which is one of the, the coolest events on the European yeah. Tour. Um, you have the chance to play Carnoustie, Kings Barnes, and the Old Course um, twice. Uh, it's it's a pretty cool event, and it obviously gets you familiar with the Old Course. But um, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I mean it's it's just such a special place. There's just so many people around, like just caddies and people just out there having the time of their life, and just the people make pilgrimages to come play this golf course and get the. Honestly, it's just fun to watch people tee off and finish on 18 and clap for them, and it's just such a fun place. And then we obviously made our way to the Dunvegan. 
um, and had dinner and drinks there. And then um, the, the next night we ended up at the Jigger Inn, smoking cigars, having some scotch. And it's the greatest. It's just the greatest place. I, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. So, um, yeah, if you ever get a chance, check out the old course at St. Andrews. Remember where you heard it here first. But <laughs> I think we're going to have to break this into – I hope I'm not taking up too much of your night. We're going to have to break this into two parts, but we still have plenty to talk about. But uh, are you still good to go? Oh yeah, absolutely. And oh, then it might be a disclaimer. You might have to put on that. And you know, if anyone's bored to death, don't bother listening to the next episode. No, people love uh, the travel episodes, uh, man. Yeah. It blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, like uh, there was a week where I did uh, a podcast, uh, a travel podcast, and a player podcast in the same week, and the travel podcast like blew the other one out of the water as far as downloads and feedback and whatnot. I mean, people. I mean, it's it's fun to you know talk about PJ Tour professional golf, but. Really, we all kind of live for our golf trips and playing at these special places. So um, I, I like hearing other pe- feedback from other people's trips, and I love hearing information when I'm planning for one. So, yeah, people people love this stuff, man. I, I can't blame them. So. Yeah, cool. Uh, uh, next up was Ely. All right, so some of our group got to play. Uh, they went out and played Crail that night that we played the old course, which I played a couple of years ago. Um Crail is a is a it's a crazy place, unbelievable property. It's like 1895, if I'm remembering right. That golf course was built. Uh, I didn't play it again this time around. It it's what I would call like the definition of like a quirky course. Like there's just some funky little holes out there that that it's probably just not the best fit for modern technology or a course that hasn't aged great with modern technology. But unbelievable mm-hmm. property and some incredible that first four holes that stretch along the sea is. Um, immaculate it's amazing those views and there's several good other good view holes you know coming in as well but uh what are your over thought, overall thoughts on crail yeah crail um when you play they should give you a scorecard a pencil and a hard hat and um, because it's just it's just crazy. as you say it's crazy you've got balls coming out you know from every direction you've got shouts of four every two seconds but um, the observation that my buddy uh, and co-host Graylin made um, when we spoke about Creole in the podcast was Creole is literally like probably like a, a Shane Bacon drive away from Kings Barnes. You can kind of see yep. parts of Kings Barnes on the other side of the coast. Don't um, give Bacon that, by the way. I, <laughs> no, don't give him that. I, I gave him the compliment on the drive on 18, but come on. Continue. Um, and uh, yeah, so you compare the it's the sort of same land, but obviously it's old versus new. And what the the new has created um, at Kings Barnes with the technology that you know golf course design allows, it creates a really you know expansive, wide open, like lots of long walks between holes mm-hmm. and making the most of the land. Whereas like Crail, you feel like it's it's obviously predates it by 200 years and you, you can tell it's like they've crammed way too many holes in the size of um, space allowed on the property and um, it's just like interesting to think compare the two and go well yeah it's uh, it's fine that you can create something modern and um, but you've got the technology and the land to do it whereas Crail has just been like you know they've got to do with um, what, they, what they've been given the hand that they've been dealt so um it's a fun course, uh, a nice one to maybe kick off a trip if you're wanting just to acclimatize yep. yourself with playing off the tight links turf. And, you know, as daft as, and cliche as it might sound, but, you know, the sea views, the sea air, and certainly the shot making and the sort of history that you you feel when you're at Crail. Um, but it's not one that you want to 
um, it's not a big boy course that you you want right. to play. There's a lot of short holes and um, some silly holes, but uh, a really you know enjoyable first first or last golf course on your trip. And you you made an interesting comment to me when before we went out to play Ely, which is the next one we'll talk about. In that you just said it's important to see these courses too, right? I mean the king the Kings Barns are what are designed for the American tours to come over and play, but seeing these historic old courses that you know even if some of them are quirky is important to kind of see where the game came from and like what what more normal Scottish golf is like. Kings Barns is not you know there's not a bunch of Scots lining up to play to play at Kings Barns, but Crail is like a members club that you know it, Scottish golfers go and play and that's important to go see places like that too and not just play necessarily the greatest hits I mean that's up there in greatest hits I think still but um Ely the uh again a, a, a course that's hard for me to comment on because we had the most outrageous wind I've ever played in in my entire life I've never seen anything like that uh, we drove it over a par four with five irons and I was hitting, I legitimately hit a four iron from a hundred yards at one point. I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and the four iron was going backwards by the time it landed. I'm not kidding. You couldn't get the ball under this wind. I've never seen anything like it. The, 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 the wind was so hard on the par three 11th that it was, it was blowing in from the sea. We were getting wet. The wind was blowing the waves into us as we were hitting shots. It, it's unbelievable. But uh, what is your? How would you describe Ely to somebody that doesn't is not familiar with it? Yeah, you just painted a really uh, graphic picture there um, of your day, your afternoon, Saturday afternoon, uh, Ely. But you know, that's uh, the, those types of experiences is why you come to Scotland. I guess it's totally different golf. It's alien. Like how how often are you going to be like blown off your feet playing right. golf? And so it was a bit daft, and obviously you wouldn't be playing for any serious money against anybody on a day like that. But it's um, it just gives you an appreciation again of just some of these golf courses and. Um, what life is maybe was like when golf was just getting going and um, here obviously the, uh, the foundation of the game was created here and Ely was one of the oldest golf courses in the world and uh, the home of James Braid and uh, a cool spot and I found uh, that to be one of my favorite must go uh, must uh, visit courses in St Andrews in the area of St Andrews it's probably a 20 minute drive from St Andrews uh, town centre and uh, you, I think you drive past Kings Barnes to get there, so it's uh, it's a it's one that I would say if you've got the time and you've given yourself enough time, and uh, hopefully we're going through these regions uh, uh, to give you an idea of the amount of golf that's available in each one. But it's about slowing down, setting up, and um, you know finding somewhere to stay for a week and going to play these other golf courses that right. people on a normal trip literally drive past. Yep. Um, so Ely is a fun course. It's uh, it got all the views. It's got the kind of shot making qualities, and one that I re- I'm quite fond of actually. Uh, and a quirky clubhouse, old school changing rooms. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's one that I I enjoy, and one that I've you know recommended to you and, and many others. Yeah, no, and it, it was it was a worthwhile recommendation, definitely. But you you exactly nailed it. It's not a course where I'm going to say must be on your itinerary it's not a must play but if you have the time and availability to do it absolutely go play it and when i didn't play it two years ago enough people reached out to me and said you need to play ely need to play it that i knew it was a course i wanted to play um and these mixing in these rounds you know along with 
some of the greatest hits in the big bucket list courses is, is important to your trip. And I think, you know, some of your most fun rounds might just be the casual rounds where you stroll out there to a course like this. So again, I'd like to see it without just biblical wins in our face. And it felt like into our face, 14 of the 18 holes, I swear. Um, and yeah, it was fun when it turned the other way for one of them. I think I, I like towed a drive, like a low tow that went about 400 yards on one of the hole holes and bacon hit like a three iron 340 yards into a bunker. And it was, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it, but, um, um, after that, that was Saturday. We went over and played, a, we just messed around in the evening at uh, new course in Jubilee. They played like 12 holes or so, and then rolled over and ordered some pizza to the jigger in because they stopped serving food and had beers outside and looked at 18th and 17th at St. Andrews and it was perfection. And then, uh, got in the car super early and we were on the tee at 6:30 and 6:40 at Kings Barnes. Uh, again, I, I debriefed on Kings Barnes two years ago, but I'm guessing not many people rec- uh, remember that exactly. But Kings Barnes is a, is a newer course, maybe about 15 years old, if I remember right. So it's, 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 it's kind of, uh, in that modern design that we were just discussing, of a big property, incredible use of the land, and just like one of the most picturesque golf courses you could ever imagine. It's so pure. It's wide. It's built like for the American tourist, I think, and um, and you know wide fairways and just really nice turf that you can just compress the ball against better than than some other old links courses. Um, I, I found it tougher this time around than I'd been the last time, if I remember right. But you can see the sea from every hole. And I mean, there's just a reason why everyone plays this golf course when you go there, and it's a, it is it is definitely a must do. It's a pricey one. I think it's maybe 225 pounds. One of the more expensive ones in Scotland. Is that right? Yeah, I think yeah, 236 pounds, and it's going to go up again next year. Uh, it's going to host its first um, major this this yeah. year. It's hosting the Ladies British. Um, obviously, hosts the Dunhill every year. It's uh, to give you an idea of just how busy it is. It's 10 minutes drive from St Andrews, so it's it's built with the the US and the um, inbound golfer tourists to play. But uh, you're paying your 236 pounds. Uh, uh, per person, per golfer, and we booked your trip or we planned your trip six months in advance, thinking, oh, no problem, we'll get out. I uh, contacted Alan Hogg, the chief executive there, and goes, well, I've got these guys coming over. He goes, oh, great, we'd love to have them. Um, bear in mind, this is six months out. The only two tea times they had available was six thirty and six forty. <laughs> so that thing is just a cash cow. It just yeah. prints money, um, but a really good golf course, you know, a fun course, one that is on almost everyone's itineraries, and, and rightly so, but it's not that Scottish um, old-school experience. Right. It's something very different. It's your Castle Stewart's and your Trump Aberdeen's. Um, but, yeah, Kyle Phillips designed as well. So uh, Kyle Phillips is, is the designer behind Dundonald, which hosts the Scottish Open next week. And, of course, that's probably not on a lot of people's radars, but um, to look out for that next week as well. So, um, yeah, I think Kings Barnes has had enough written and said about it that, you know, I don't think I could probably do justice. But, um, you know, interesting take there about how much money the, the place is making. Mm. And, then, you know, it's obviously successful and they keep improving things down there as well. I mean that the twelfth hole is is like my dream hole. I think it's one of the most fun holes. Downhill tee shot par five, water to your left, and the green kind. Of, it, 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 it dog legs with your second shot, so you got to take on the water with a second shot. I think it's one of the prettiest and most fun holes. I got so excited that I topped my drive uh, this time around on it. Fifteenth hole is like the signature hole, like a long par three. 
with water on the right, the sea there right there on your right, the super tough, super tough hole. Um, and just, it, it, uh, it's so many, so many good fun holes out there and the, and the, the whole structure and layout, like you said, there's some long walks between tees, but they, they use the land in the best way possible. And that was, that's what seems to be the goal. And, um, there's, you know, several of those fun link shots that you, that you hit where, you know, you're landing a, a wedge 40 feet right of the pin and watching a slope, take it down to five feet, like it, it like you would on a, a normal link score. So um it's it's a it's a tough bullet to bite price wise but if you're going if you're making the trip there it's not a price high enough that you could justify saying i'm not going to play there it's 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 on my must play list definitely yeah and and the, their caddies are known to be uh sort of in scotland as the best caddies obviously drawn to king's barns where people are paying top dollar they you hope they're going to tip in top dollar yeah um it'd be interesting to see how it plays uh the ladies british because we've only seen king's barns in a kind of um amateur setting that you know with the dunhill championship having you know amateurs in the field a lot of the pin positions uh are you know pretty easy and so uh, i'll be keen to see how they set up the course and uh, maybe the the sort of image of King's Barnes being nice and easy uh, we might see something different come yeah. uh, this you know uh, this month yeah, that will be interesting they're playing the um, the first hole is actually going to be the 18th for the Open did yeah. you know that yeah it's, yeah it's interesting basically for crowd control reasons but um, that, that is going to be interesting um so yeah, there's not a lot of secrets I don't think there about Kings Barnes, but the the course that we finished this leg of the trip with, um, the, I wouldn't call it a secret. It's, uh, people definitely know about it, but it's kind of more of the cult favorite, much like Cruden Bay is, like you mentioned. Uh, we made the trek two hours down and played North Berwick, again in crazy whipping winds. Um, honestly, it, St Andrews aside, the most fun round I think we've had on on it on on this trip in the uh the first eight holes were dead into the wind and just we but it, it was it felt like an absolute grind getting out there but coming home on that back nine there was like four or five like incredibly memorable and unique holes um starting with so the, fir- the first hole is right set against the sea and right next to the 18th hole kind of like St Andrews and then you go out and you take a left in the routing. And St. Andrews, you kind of go out and take a right. But we, we all commented on the similarities and you know the, in how the routing kind of goes. This, this course sits right in a town, right against the sea with like houses, like houses and buildings that frame the course that are so picturesque. Um, do, you get, do you get this kind of same gushing feedback usually uh, from people that play North Berwick? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's probably my favorite uh, outlet. It's like Coon Bay or the Oak Course for me. It's. Uh, I think when you leave a golf course, and like a week or two later, you're still remembering every shot you hit on the back hmm. nine. Um, like there's so many fun holes coming home, and the similarities, as you say, with the old course are pretty scary. Even that 18th tee shot, which yeah. is a little easier, it's probably easier. It's a lot shorter than the old course, but like the parked cars along the right-hand side, out of bounds, and you've got that almost you know valley of sin yeah, right in front right. of the green. So and the clubhouse, uh, probably yeah, a more tasteful clubhouse in North Berwick. Um, you know, as a backdrop, but um, yeah, a really cool spot and one that if, if you've got the time play 36 because you won't regret it the second time round and uh, the best views probably of your trip uh, arguably along with Kurumbe 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, proper old school. Like, how many times do you play over a wall and uh, right. guards the green? <laughs> so. Uh, so, quick story from the front nine. And again, we're going out into this wind, and I'm feeling the pressure. It's 400 yard hold a second, I think, and it's like borderline not reachable. I think Pat, our caddy, even said, uh, this is a three shot hold today, and he's not joking. I was determined to prove him wrong, and uh, Smother hooked a drive so far left. I think this maybe might have been on the third hole. It was the third hole. Hit it so far left, that he, and I saw the ball laying in another fairway. And he goes, is that in the other fairway? And uh, I was like, yeah. And he goes, I, he goes, I have never seen somebody go that far wide. He'd been a member there for like 20 years or something like that. So he's like, yeah, you need to just punch back out to the fairway. Don't try to do too much. So I reached my three wood and tried to hit it on the green and Smother hooked another one. And I'm like 80 yards left of the green. Um, and the wind is, again, crazy. So I take an eight iron. So there's a, this wall, like a stone wall that kind of runs through the course is, is, is behind. It's to the right of the green, but for me it's behind because I'm so far left. And I like, just like punch an eight iron just to get it under the wind. It one hops. It flies the green, one hops, hits the wall, and comes back and rolls to five feet. And I made the par putt for like the best <laughs> par of my life. <laughs> so I used the wall at any time I could. Uh, it, it, I used the wall on more than one occasion to help me out. That the 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 way that course routes through those walls is so, one of the coolest design, like elements of touch to a course I've ever seen. I, I'm I'm obsessed with it. The hole you're talking about is the 13th, where you tee off straight down this fairway, and then the green is just on the left side of the wall. Like you got to just pitch over a wall to get onto the green. It's incredible. Yeah, um, you know, one of my um, probably proudest um, <coughs> videos that I've created um, is with the, the drone at North Berwick, and it sort of gives you an idea of, A, the scenery, but the kind of the walls that weave itself through the golf course. Um, and the reason the walls are there is because it's old boundary lines for farmers and crofters, and um, they just haven't removed them. They've just built the golf course through them, so... Um, it, it reminds you of the history um, of the place, but it's kind of fun to navigate around. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, similar to the old course or Kings Mounds. I, I struggled for uh, to sort of sum up in North Berwick to give it justice. It's one of the the coolest spots I think uh, in Scotland, and uh, it's popular. It gets a lot of traffic now. I think it's almost became um, you know the notoriety of the course is increasing all the time, and it is probably alongside the big names now. But it was only kind of ten years ago where people knocked it for its quirkiness. It's certainly quirky, and quirky's often seen as a negative. But um, in this in this case, I think it's you know absolutely so much fun and one that uh, you should play and it's really quite close to Edinburgh as well it's probably half an hour on the train or you know just over half an hour to get to Edinburgh airport so um, it's you know well located and um, yeah as I said a must play yeah so to me to me quirky just means like like just a feeling of uncomfortableness standing over a hole it's like a 270 yard like non-drivable par four just a hole that's just kind of you know you gotta like hit like a seven iron off the tee or something like that i didn't walk away from north barrack saying quirky like i know it's different and it's you know i just but it felt like a course that has matured really well with modern technology and didn't feel like an outdated course in any in any stretch um i mean some so that the ninth hole par five is that right the ninth is a par five yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. one of voted one of the best par fives in scotland or something like that or top 100 par fives in the world i think our caddy said such a phenomenal hole um 
and then you come along this you know you get a helping wind coming down uh like the 12 is another cool par five um and then the 13th is the one where you pitch over the wall 14 is that the hole that's called perfection is that right yeah yeah and like a uh remind me again how that one plays i think i get that one in 16 confused so that one's kind of quirky in the fact that you've you can't really go for the green there's not really a route onto the green That's despite right. it only being like 340 um oh, so you've got to hit we you've tried. got to, yeah of course you did you you have to hit six iron and then a wedge on and beautiful backdrop uh perfection obviously aptly named perfection and then uh, the following holes the the redan yep and uh, par th- the most copied hole in golf the par three the original and then, redan, so the original was- yeah and then you've got um 16, which is the uh, the crazy green, which you've probably seen photographed. Ashley Mayo put a great picture of her line in the middle of the, this uh, this crazy green that you'll never see replicated anywhere. And then you might be thinking of 17, which is kind of a longer par four, which yeah. is has an has an elevated green um, it with great sea views. And then you've got 18. So yeah, I, as I said at the start when we were talking about North Berwick, I can sort of remember every shot of that yeah. back nine which i think is testament to the, the course and there was so much like shot value in the in, in those holes coming in and that you had so much decision making and true risk reward shots so on 14 we did uh, we had a huge helping win so we did bacon did carry it i didn't quite make it um i miss it i mean I hit a, a groove low you know so um but uh I, there was so much risk reward and so much like thought that had to go into where you wanted to land it like how to adjust for the wind? If I if I lay back here, do I really want to hit seven iron over this, or can I? Do I want to hit wedge in? And I just I, I was obsessed with that back nine. I thought it was so cool, and the houses that surround that property are just multi multi million dollar beautiful Scottish houses. And uh, right into the other side of you is the sea. I thought it was it was it was such an unbelievably fun round of golf and a perfect way to way to cap that leg of the trip so yeah that was that kind of wrapped up the the leg with your uh, seven other friends and and the, the bus you obviously have to wave goodbye to the luxury coach at this point you have to you have to slum it now with a rental car and then yeah. you take a crazy a crazy road trip around scotland um so you know going back to the planning of that eight person trip i think um logistics is difficult when you've got that many people and you've got that many tea times and hotel rooms to get so um in that scenario scenario without you know somebody like myself to help then you you are maybe looking at a tour operator to just to make everything happen um from a, a logistics point of view but um you know certainly three four guys is certainly manageable to do on your on your own and plan it yourself and you know, now with Instagram and social media, um, there's so much there out there publicly. Uh, you know, just a tweet can get you so much information. And that's what I'd be saying to everyone listening is, you know, reach out to you and uh, to myself and Graylin Loomis, my co-host, and scroll through Instagram locations and see all the pictures of the golf courses and click on the map and see where it is in relation to the airport that you might be flying into. And um, I, I really don't see why people are not using the the resources out there to plan trips and no. you know reach out to people like us to uh, to help them plan and yeah and even you know it's as simple as me shooting a question to you saying i gotta pick between these two which one i gotta play one which one am i doing and you're like you know i yeah. go here like it's just it's just really helpful stuff and i just it, you know you hear about all the courses but you don't know where they are on a map like i go around and i i start if i'm interested in a region i just start saving golf courses in google maps just give them a star 
And that way I can, you know, visualize like, all right, if I'm going to go play here, I'm going to want to play here too. Maybe I'll stay here and blah, blah, blah. And that's just kind of how I've, I've gone about piecing it together. So, um, but yeah, and, and that's where, you know, you, you did the legwork on, on getting us places to stay and whatnot, but I thought it was spaced out well. Uh, but I mean, if you're going to play in the St. Andrews area, I mean, I would just suggest to stay in St. Andrews. You can get to so many places from there. Um, and, but then, yeah, we stayed up near Cruden Bay. Like there's so much, and then we'll get to what I did next was go, go up and play more in that Aberdeen area. You can stay in Aberdeen. You could stay at Cruden Bay anywhere in that area and you can play four really good golf courses within you know 30 minutes to an hour of driving too so all right that's it for part one thanks a ton to rue for coming on uh part two should be out soon we're going to finish up chatting with rue and also we are going to debrief hopefully with shane bacon uh about that leg of the trip what he thought of it and uh more good stuff to come sorry about the length of this but uh been a little overdue on podcasts so Hopefully, uh, hopefully this somewhat makes up for it. But stick stick around. This is going to be a, a huge month of podcasts. And uh, check back soon for part two. Thanks. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different?